Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. We managed to gain rare access to eastern Libya last week, where a truly devastating flood has claimed the lives of likely at least 10,000 people. That's Louisa Lovelock. She reports on global crises for The Post. She and our colleagues were among the first to report from the disaster zone in Libya, as other foreign journalists struggled to get access to the country. The worst affected city of all is a place called Derna, right on this country's northern shore. And we saw the destruction there first from a helicopter and then later from the ground. I'm just looking at the buildings and I honestly lost for words. I, it's hard to understand how the force of the waves be so powerful that it could do this to buildings. I've, I've never seen buildings simultaneously twisted, smashed, perfectly standing. I mean, what it must have been like here. Unfathomable, really. Twisted. Like, or to a, is that a car? This is a car. This is a car. Christ. The cars are twisted so tightly that they look like they've been woven by some sort of insect. The scale of the damage is absolutely huge. There's an entire district that was basically picked up and wiped off the map. When you see it from above, it's just red silt. You can barely even see the lines of where the foundations were. Uh, there are hospitals that have fallen out of service, not because they were damaged, but because almost all of their staff were killed. The communications networks were broken. The electricity network was part broken. It's very hard to see how this will be repaired in the near future, it certainly won't happen without massive investment. Libya has been dealing with years of political strife, including two rival governments vying for control. So infrastructure has been neglected. Then, Storm Daniel blew through the Mediterranean, dropping at least 14 inches of rain here in just 24 hours. And this is so unusual in the area that people said that when the rain started, people actually came out in the street. They looked at it, kids played in it. People even took selfies next to the river showing the waters rising. But as they continued to rise and the waters get got higher, two dams in the area overflowed. And once the water came out of them and started crashing down the valley, that's where this devastating wave started gathering pace and that's where they started to cover entire towns and cities. What happened, in effect, was like a tsunami, but from the land. Instead of the water coming in from the sea, it was going the other way and dragging entire districts and people out into the water. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Thursday, September 21st. I'm your guest host, Arjun Singh. Today, we have more of Louisa's reporting on the ground in Libya. 
She'll tell us the remarkable story of a family that narrowly survived the flood. Then, in the second half of the show, reporter Scott Dance explains how climate change helped worsen this flood, and others around the globe. Okay, let's go back to Louise on the ground in Libya. So on our second day of reporting, we started the day in Derna, but as the authorities were becoming stricter and stricter about people reporting from the city, about access to the city, we decided it was easiest to just move on to the town of Susa, which was less damaged, but certainly a place where a lot of suffering had taken place too. And as we were driving slowly through this town, through the sort of churned red mud, Looking out the window, I saw a couple of men just sitting there, head in hands, looking completely exhausted. And so we got out and asked them what had happened. It's their, it's, this is their home. It's your home? This is my home. Is everyone safe? And we're welcomed in by a man called Najm Sadawi, who tells us very soon that his brother, Alam, was getting married the week of the storm. And so we speak to Najm, we speak to their brother, Nizar, and we speak to the father, Maloud. On that day, on the night of the storm, they'd had a wedding party. The whole family was in the house. How many people were in the house? They had a wedding. So they had 30 children. The babies at 15. A wedding. Yeah, because you have the lanterns there. That's from the wedding. Oh my gosh. So the signs of the wedding are everywhere, really. As you look in the churned mud, which we see through this broken wall at the back of the house, there are lanterns, there are pots and pans, which the family say they'd actually bought for the wedding. There are tiny glass teacups, which are also new. And in one of the rooms, there's a whole bed full of dried out banknotes, which was meant to be given as the gift for the wedding. He says everything, the vegetables, the meat, everything was right here, that we were under drinks and juice. They told us that relatives had been packed into every room and 500 wedding guests were were expected in total over the week. So that night, they tried to light the barbecue when evening fell, although it had been difficult because of the rain. And they'd eaten together beneath these beautiful pomegranate trees in their yard. So as night fell, they were inside the house, the lanterns were glowing from the ceiling, the kids were playing musical chairs in their party dresses. And that's when the rain started. The way they described it was that it happened in seconds. The water started crashing down the valley and it went straight through their front gate, straight through their front door, and it started rising immediately. We're grabbing kids and then throwing them onto the stair because the water quickly uh, going up, and so we just grab and throw away. Najim and Nizar told us that as soon as the water came crashing in, they just grabbed the children and they were throwing them one by one up the stairs of the single story house. <gasps> but these are their handprints <laughs> from when they were trying to. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they're trying to uh, stable themselves. Walk, walk, walk through the wall. Mm-hmm. And as the waters 
continued to rise, you can actually see the path that they took. These red handprints all the way up the wall, all the way up the stairs, are basically the handprints of the entire family if they tried to steady themselves amid the water. This is crazy. They went, so they were going up. Every time the water went up, they were coming up the stairs. And it's quite striking all the way up here. You have handprints on the wall, I mean, obviously covered in red dirt. And at that point, Najim and Nizar said, this is where the men were holding the children above their heads and the water was just rising higher and higher. When they say that the water was up to here, they were gesturing towards their chins with a movement sort of motioning upwards as if it was continuing higher and higher. And that's where it stopped. How long were you in the water? Only three hours. Three hours. Four hours. And how many? Sorry. While while you were in the water, you didn't know if it's going to keep rising. But there was no escape. You couldn't get out to the street that was entirely covered in water too. Do you remember what you were thinking? He says that we are lost. Completely lost, we're going to die. And they were waiting, they said, as if for death, when there was a huge crack and the kitchen wall down below gave way. And this became a whole thing as a swimming pool. It knocked the whole wall. Okay. Once that whole wall came down, the water, the, Whoa, it, another wall? mud, another but, river over there. If hadn't the wall come down, that's because this, yeah, the wall came oh, down. So that saved them. Of course. Oh the, water, like, the, yeah, the wall the came down and the water uh, yeah. went down. Miraculously, no one in the wedding party was killed that night. What did you see when you finally came out? What was the scene around you? He says, I smack in my head and say, this is a dream. In speaking to the brothers who were there and hearing accounts of how the bride and groom were doing, it seemed that psychologically, they weren't doing well. People said they weren't sleeping. People said they were incredibly scared of the rains that may come again. And they were very, very worried about the next time they heard a drop of rain on the roof. I asked the men how they'd been doing in the days since the flood. He says, uh, psychologically, um, zero, zero. Of course. The word they used was zero, zero. It must have been a huge shock. They were numb, um, and you could you could see it in their faces. Louisa Lovelock is a foreign correspondent for The Post. When we come back, reporter Scott Dance explains the climate science behind storms like this one, and what it's revealing about the catastrophic flooding we could see in the future. We'll be right back.
I'm Hannah Rosen, host of Radio Atlantic. Wait, really? Every week, we talk to Atlantic writers or other creative thinkers, and we take one idea and we road test it. Maybe what I'm asking is, is the problem them or us? Sometimes I change my mind about things. That's such a good point. I never thought of that. Maybe you will, too. Or at least you might see something differently. Ooh, that's fabulous. Radio Atlantic. New episodes every Thursday. Scott, we just heard from one of our colleagues, Louisa Loveluck, and she's been on the ground reporting on just this devastating flood that happened in Libya. And she was starting to unpack the causes of the flooding. There's rain, the dam's bursting. But one thing I'm really curious about, too, is climate change seems to have had an impact in the devastation there. What's the role that it played in how what happened in Libya unfolded? I think of climate change as the backdrop for all of these events. So, you know, the meteorology of this storm might be such that it, you know, would have occurred in any climate. But the climate that we're living in now means that this storm was much more intense than it might have been because there was so much more warmth uh, and energy in the atmosphere, in the water, and that just led to this intense rainfall that really overwhelmed Libya. So how did climate change exactly make the storm worse? There's a study that came out already, actually, that looked very quickly at this storm and looked back at how much rain fell. Uh, They're estimating it was about 14 inches within a less than a 24-hour period in some spots. And then this is a, you know, mostly desert environment. There's rain close to the uh, coast on the Mediterranean there. But the rainfall that they saw throughout this region of, of northeastern Libya was more intense than anything on, on the record books there. You know, you had these abnormally warm waters in the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean, like a lot of bodies of water and, and just vast stretches of the world's oceans, are all significantly warmer than normal for this time of year. And that means that there, again, is more energy there for the storm. Warmer water is more prone to evaporation. Warmer air can hold more moisture. So if you have more evaporation from the water and then more ability to carry moisture in the air, then you end up with this more intense storm. So as the oceans are getting hotter, there's more intensity to these storms. Is that correct, Scott? Yeah, so the oceans across the globe are averaging warmer than anything we've seen before. And that is, you know, when we say off the charts, it's so far above the normal anomalies that we see compared to the long-term record. So it's really having this effect around the world on weather. And so that heat is just this baseline of so much added energy to storms. It's, you know, evaporating again into the air and just creating this environment that is conducive to really heavy rainfalls. I mean, this is something that climate scientists said would happen. As the planet warms, we'll see warmer waters, warmer air, and that will lead to more intense rainfall, these downpours that just overwhelm communities. Interesting. And I also understand that this storm was something called a medicane. Is that like a Mediterranean hurricane? Uh, I mean, whatever it is, it doesn't sound good. But what is that exactly, Scott? Yeah, that's basically it. It's a, it's a tropical cyclone-like storm that has 
always formed over the Mediterranean. Um, again, you know, likely in times like this when you have some extra warmth there, you know, it's not quite as intense as like an Atlantic hurricane can get because the Mediterranean is just a smaller body of water. There's, uh, you know, less opportunity for a storm like that to strengthen, but it, it does sort of take on these tropical qualities that can be very intense. And to return back to what we saw happen in Libya, how did the failure of these two dams upstream of a place in Libya called Derna contribute to the death toll that we ended up seeing? Why weren't they able to handle the amount of rain that they got? Yes, yeah, so this is something that the scientists who did this study looking at the influence of climate change on this event, we're also careful to emphasize that no storm happens in a vacuum. There are human influences. There are geographic, political, different factors that affect how a storm behaves or what are the impacts of that storm. In this case, they mentioned that uh, these two dams that failed were built in the 1970s. They were based on relatively short rainfall records and were probably not designed to withstand uh, a storm of this magnitude. Um, they've estimated that it's uh, one in a 300 to 600 year rainfall event. And, and that just speaks to the rare, you know, probability of a storm like this, that just based on the odds, you might expect it to only happen once in 600 years. Um, but they're saying that this disaster really stresses the importance of what we call climate change adaptation. So preparing for the weather extremes that we are seeing that we didn't used to see, but also preparing for the weather extremes of the future. Yeah, and, you know, last week we also saw catastrophic flooding uh, in a couple other countries along the Mediterranean Sea. So to zoom out a little bit, where else have we also been seeing catastrophic flooding this past month? And, and what has the impact been? It's really been happening all over the world. And of course, there are, you know, floods all around the world every summer, you know, all year, really. This is not a new thing, but the effect of this extreme warmth in the world's oceans and in the air are likely contributing to a spate of floods even just this month. So you saw flooding in Greece and Turkey and Bulgaria and also Spain that were basically from the same weather pattern that produced this terrible flooding in Libya. Um, you saw floods in Japan, in Hong Kong, um, Brazil. Uh, you know, more than 25,000 people were displaced from flooding in uh, a state in, in the south of Brazil. You know, in speaking to my colleague there, who I worked with on, on a story about that, it wasn't even the first deadly flood to occur, you know, in Brazil this summer. So, wow. um, you know, it, it really just seemed like we had this spate of intense floods uh, just, you know, at the end of the summer here. Part of that is maybe because it takes the oceans longer to warm and cool than it does the land. So even though we're sort of getting into northern hemisphere fall, summer's winding down, the waters are still kind of at the warmest that they will be all year. And again, that leads to more evaporation. The warmer air that's also still present holds more water vapor, and it's producing these intense downpours. Yeah, and does that 
also relate to the record-breaking heat that we saw in so many places this summer. Does that contribute to the intensity of these storms? I mean, it is hard to draw a direct line, you know, between any one event. You know, it's a little bit easier maybe with heat waves than floods or other other things. But again, the backdrop is that this summer was the globe's warmest stretch on record. Uh, you know, it's 174 year record, but, you know, scientists are emphasizing that while that might seem like a blip in geological time, the amount of warming that we know we've seen in just that stretch is so unprecedented in in its speed. And so, um, yes, we saw extreme warmth all summer. It has produced this, you know, super anomalous warmth in oceans, and, and it's a recipe for exceptional storms. So it sounds like one of the takeaways from what we saw in Libya is that climate change along with kind of neglect of critical infrastructure like you were talking about, poor disaster preparedness, is sort of the culprit for how things played out the way that they did. But Scott, I want to hear from you. What do you think the big takeaways here are? I think climate change is so abstract to a lot of people. These events are something that scientists said would become possible and probable given the trajectory of warming that we've seen over the past decades. So to me, the takeaway is we are seeing evidence of here's what happens when we warm up the planet, we change the potential for what sort of weather extremes are possible, and, you know, we just start to see new extremes. We start to see more events that you know, might have been, again, like once in 600 years a long time ago, but now are happening more often than that. Well, Scott, thanks for taking the time and, you know, talking to me about this. It was a really illuminating conversation. Thanks for having me. Scott Dance covers global weather for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show is produced by Ariel Plotnick. It was edited by Robin Amer with help from Maggie Penman, Jesse Mesner-Hage, and Jason Samenow. It was mixed by Sean Carter. We had translation help from Mohammed El-Shama. I'm your guest host, Arjun Singh. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.